0: Hey guys, this is Field of Vapor.
1: Hey folks, this is Pete Bissardo.
2: Hey guys, this is Ruby Roo and you're listening to Smoke Free Radio. Vapers, welcome to another edition of Smoke Free Radio, right here on the VP Live Network, where we provide you with five days of week of vaping content every Sunday. Kevin with VP Live Radio Mondays, we have Raven Grimm along with very boring and Jeannie on the anti-nanny show. Tuesdays, usually click bang with Russ, Wednesday night, smoke free radio, and of course Thursday night, the lovely Jeannie K, which today is her birthday. Happy birthday, yay! The lovely Jeannie K with the Jeannie K Show. Uh, I apologize for missing last Wednesday. I was out of state. I was attending the TMA conference uh, in Leesburg, Virginia, north of Washington, a standards conference. It's kind of something I've been talking about for the past year, year and a half. We're asking the FDA not to regulate us. We're asking the FDA to come with reasonable regulations, but... We really don't have a standard in this industry, and it's nice to see at least a group of people coming together trying to create some reasonable standards that everybody can agree on, which is a very, very difficult task, simply because of the scope of the industry and such variety that we have now, and and the SKUs that we have, and the way that we market our products, and who do we sell our products? And uh, first of we had the Sigalikes, and we had the Open Vapor. Now we have the Sigalikes, and the companies that are on the borderline Sigalike Open Vapor. Uh, then we had the Sigalikes, the Borderline Open Vapor, the Full Open Vapor. Now we have the Cloud Chase, just a huge variety of products. I mean, how can you come up with a standard that's going to make everybody happy? So I think, though, we have to come to an agreement that some of the stuff that we uh, that we want to present as an industry that wants to be responsible uh, and uh, and some ethics involved there, <laughs> amazingly enough, we have to come up with a set of standards uh, across the board to at least satisfy that portion of regulation that is calling for some oversight of these products. The meeting went very well. Uh, we got to hear presentations from a variety uh, of people representing uh, flavor companies, devices. Uh, John from Evolve was there, uh, made a great presentation on, on some standards that everybody can uh, pretty much agree as far as the devices and uh, uh, what protection they should have and uh, how we're going to be marketing them, how we're going to be selling them, what kind of responsibility we're going to have and um, it's kind of ironic. We were just talking about these devices. Again, you know, we have a couple companies here in the United States that are manufacturing uh, with Evolve and Proveri. Uh They're manufacturing some chips as well, too. And we have some monitors here in the United States. Something goes wrong with this device. Uh, obviously, you have somewhere to turn to, either for support or, you know, a lawsuit, I guess. <laughs> hey, welcome to America. But... Um, if something happens with some of these devices that are coming up from China, usually the distributor is the one that's going to get uh, get hurt on it. And, uh, and unfortunately, um, we don't have any kind of a standard pl- in place for that. Anyway, along with flavoring and, of course, manufacturing standards, some of the stuff that we should be testing at e-liquid, it was a very interesting conference. And, of course, I got to see a lot of my friends, uh, a lot of advocates there as well, too. Julie Wessner was there from CASA. Um, Cheryl was there. Um, it, it, Zim was there, one of our guests that we have here today. And uh, it was it was a great conference. F- I left Washington, and I went straight to Ohio, where James Jarvis had invited me to to participate in the Central uh, Ohio Vapors Meet. And I have to tell you, I had an amazing time, thanks to James and all of his crew and all the hospitality there. Everybody was so nice. <coughs> but what I was really, really proud of, you know, I, I have kind of set the standard. So I'm only going to go to these events that I, that I feel like, if I'm going to take time away from my family, I'm going to contribute to something. And boy, did we contribute there. Uh, this meet raised, uh, I, I mean, I don't know how, I mean, it had to have been at least $2,500, three, three $3,500 worth of toys for toys for tots that James and the Cyber Liquids guys uh, personally delivered on a U Haul truck. <laughs> uh, it was just amazing to see how the vaping community came together to help a cause outside of the vaping industry scope. Uh, I was able to talk there on stage and talk to some of the vendors and the vapers of where they're trying to bring awareness to our cause. And uh, uh, I I disappointed a lot of people. I think I brought a lot of awareness to some of these vendors and some of these vape shop owners that absolutely had no clue. Uh, I talked to a couple of uh, vendors that had no clue that the FDA is regulating electronic cigarettes, believe it or not, in this time and age. Uh, But what was really, really uh, uh, interesting is that uh, thanks to James, uh, one of the TV stations contacted him to come to his shop and ask him about the FDA regulations. Uh, and it was very fortunate we fell on this reporter that came in very biased. I could tell by the questions that he was asking. Um, and even though they only used a few seconds from my – you know, we talked for an hour. They only used a few seconds from my clip because that's how TV is and a few seconds from James. I think this, the fact that we spent an hour with him and explained to him the industry really helped this story to become positive. So just a little side note here. If you're given, if you're given a media request and you're given an interview – Please sit down with before the interview or even after the interview and explain more about our industry. Don't just let him come into your shop, do an interview, and leave. And I think that uh, the combination of me and James trying to explain what these FDA regulations will do to, to the industry really helped Kevin take a fair and balanced approach to the story. And ironically enough, Saturday, there was another story going on on the use of drugs through vaporizers that this other reporter was doing. And she came to the vape meet. And once again, I mean, I think she spoke to me for about 45 minutes. And her clip today she used, I don't know, about 30 seconds of it. But again, I think that the fact that we took the time to to educate these reporters really helps these stories. So that's just a little tip for you. That's all I'm going to keep you there. Uh, we have a lot of stuff to talk about. We've got a couple of guests uh, waiting. First of all, uh, I'm going to introduce uh, from Washington, D.C. He's been here on the episode uh, a couple of times. Uh, unfortunately, back then we were kind of predicting. Now we're kind of in the stage that uh, um, you know we're, we're ready to to aim and fire, right, Azim?
0: That's correct. We Azeem, are ready to go.
2: Azim Chaturi from uh, the Heller and Kick. Uh, I said that wrong, didn't I? Heller. Yes. No, it's not Heller. It's Keller and Heckman firm. There you go. There you go. Uh, welcome back to the show, Azim. And waiting patiently <laughs> on the telephone line. Let me go ahead and bring him in from Free, Pennsylvania, Mr. Bill Goshaw. <coughs> How you doing, Bill? Hello. Uh, nice, nice to hear from you again. Nice to see you up in the TMA as well. I always enjoy you being there because you always raise the, the the tough questions. You know, it seems like a lot of people are missing the whole scope. Uh, we're having a conference, but we're not talking about the main story, right? <laughs> it's been a, for five years. It's been that way. Absolutely. Before we get started with Hazim, I do want to bring this up because Bill has a thread that it's been on the ECF since 2011, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, predicting this exact situation that we're currently in. And it seems like, I mean, aside from a very, very close circle of advocates that kind of knew where we were going and been yelling out on top of our lungs that this is coming, Bill, you saw this coming all along, correct?
1: Uh, yeah, but... it if you read, if you understood the Tobacco Control Act, it was pretty obvious to anybody who really understood the Tobacco Control Act. The problem was that a lot of people in the vaping industry really didn't understand the Tobacco Control Act. Mm-hmm. And I think they're just starting to catch up now.
2: Uh, <laughs> I think, I think, yeah, you're right. I mean, I, th- I see that there is some involvement now, and I, th- I see people that are that are, that are waking up. Azim, you were on the program a couple of times with me, and we, we kind of w- walked through the steps of... Um, uh, of where you know what the steps that the FDA has taken to to come into this process. Now we're in step eight of nine, and uh, the area or the regulations. Which, we, uh, uh, full disclosure, we haven't seen these regulations. Azim, am I correct? And what we've seen leaked from Tiveka, uh could possibly be a draft. Correct?
0: That's correct. We have not seen the the actual rule uh, that has been submitted by FDA to to uh, OMB for their review. Uh, what you know what we have seen you know, in terms of the leaked documents was, was only a table of contents allegedly to the rule and um, the draft guidance document for the pre-market tobacco application. So both of those are in draft form. So that is important to remember. We haven't seen anything final yet.
2: Uh, Azim, um, by the way, three four seven three zero eight eight three two nine. press one if you have any questions or comments for our guest tonight. Uh, I, I want to read this. This is, this is actually something that you wrote in an article called What to Expect with the FDA Regulation. And, and in your conclusion, which, which uh, I just want to read it s- straight out of, of this article, considering the public health benefit that these products seem to provide, speaking of e-cigs, consumers who have benefit from e-cigarettes can only hope the FDA takes a reasonable regulatory approach with its deeming regulation and does not use it to effectively ban the products. Now, we know... That the pre-market application will be in the final rule is that is that a definite fact?
0: Yes. Well, we don't we don't we can't say.
2: I'm sorry, I lost you there for a second, Azim.
0: For sure, what's going to be in the final rule? But it's a pretty good bet that. Can you hear me?
2: Yeah. Hold on a second. If you if you can, just okay. turn off your camera because we don't need it here, and it'll cut down a little bit no, on the no. bandwidth. Because I think our bandwidth is a little bit uh, strong, uh, pulling a lot of resources here. All right, let's try it again. Can you
0: hear me? Yeah, now can we you can hear, hear me? you. Yes. Okay. Sorry. That's okay. Uh, what, I, what I was saying was that um, we have, haven't seen the final rule, but you can pretty much bet. That there's going to be the uh, very similar process that's been that we've seen, you know, in the proposed rule and um, with the leaked document, which is a, a pre-market tobacco application process, which is going to retroactively apply to the entire industry, to all any e- vapor product, including the devices, the components, and the e-liquids.
2: And this pre-market application is. I, I, um, this is the biggest problem that we have right now, as far as the uh, as as far as the regulations as they pertain to to the electronic cigarette industry. And I read today uh, a blog written by by, uh, by Carl Phillips that pretty much um, explains in detail why this process was pretty much created to eliminate uh, the industry. And if, if you believe that it does not, um, then you're, you're 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 in a you're in a fantasy world.
0: Well, it's it's not that it was created to, to kill the industry, it's that it was created to prevent the introduction of new harmful tobacco products, tobacco containing products. That was what the Tobacco Control Act, at its heart, is intended to do, and that's why they Congress created this you know onerous standard for a PMTA, requiring you know, it, you know the, considering the public health and the population level impact. All of that was intended to make it virtually impossible to bring, you know, brand new tobacco-containing products onto the market. What's happened since then, after the law passed, is the introduction of totally different products which are being pigeonholed into the definition of tobacco and the the FDA's tobacco authority. So the effect is is what you just said. It's going to kill the industry. But, you know, it wasn't the intent. It's just Congress never, in my opinion, envisioned that these products would exist. And that this process would apply to them,
2: Bill. Uh, your response on that? I mean, I, I'm sure you read the. You, you might have read uh, Carl's blog today. Uh, speaking of the FDA regulations, <coughs> which is not actually a regulation. Do you agree?
1: Well, by and large, the you know, it's the same ideology. You know, Thirty years ago, you know these same entities that are lobbying for this e-cigarette ban also lobbied to you know put this mandate warnings on smokeless tobacco products that said this product is not a safe alternative to cigarettes. And at that time, I was involved in that process, and I was furious, and I told these people that were pushing this, well, you know, of course they're not safe, nothing's safe, but they're 99 percent, or far less hazardous, this is a misleading and deceitful warning. They went ahead with it, because they wanted to deceive the public, to believe that smokeless tobacco products were just as hazardous as cigarettes and they've achieved their goal.
2: And they've done that with an arch. They show
1: that 90% of Americans believe that smokeless tobacco are, sure. are as hazardous as cigarettes. And that's what they're trying to do to e-cigarettes. Now, I disagree with some of the things that Azim said as far as congressional intent. I think most of the congressmen involved had not a clue about any of the ramifications of this bill when the Tobacco Control Act clearly the uh, drafters of the bill Back in 2003, 2004, and the drafters were Matt Myers of Campaign for Tobacco-Free Kids, uh, a lobbyist for GlaxoSmithKline named Mitch Zeller, and about a hundred lawyers from Philip Morris, and they all could agree on let's stop all new tobacco products from being introduced in the market. And that was the one thing they clearly all agreed on because yeah. it protected GlaxoSmithKline market share for its gum and patches and lozenges. It protected Philip Morris's Marlboro monopoly market share for its cigarettes. And Matt Myers doesn't, you know, it supported his goal of not letting any new products on the market. Sure. So. Whether it was congressional intent or not, that's a, a decision for the courts to decide, right. um, and that may be coming sooner than we thought. Now, with the leaking, I also disagree. It was not TVECA that leaked these documents. It was FDA that leaked these documents.
2: Correct. Well, TVECA t- t- presented. And every
1: document that's leaked out of Washington is intentionally leaked.
2: Correct. I agree. I totally agree, and there's a lot of chatter at the TMA about that as well, too. Uh, I'm just going to say T- TVECA put that out there to the public. They're the ones that got a hold of it, how they got a hold of it. and why are they keep getting a hold of Because they got the pre-draft uh, rule back in April of, of 2014 as well out-leaked. Uh, they were the first ones. That, I don't know. One thing that we both can agree now is that we're at the stage of the game where the, the, the regulations have been submitted to OMB and OIRA for review, and this is the most important process, Azim. I mean, this is, the, this is the, the the spot where this agency was, first of First of all, explain to people in an easy way where everybody can understand. Because I, sometimes I get I get this. Well, I didn't really understand. With in an easy way, what does this process do? What is the goal? Uh, what What does OMB have in intent? What What are they required by law to do with with this this rule that the FDA has turned over to them?
0: So the OMB is the Office of Management and Budget, which is part of the uh, Executive Office of the White House, and and their their what they're intended to do is be, really be the gatekeeper for uh new rules and regulations that are proposed by the federal agencies in this case FDA and the way i see them is you know they are sort of like the the uh the entity that is looking out for uh the people the the economy small businesses what have you but they're they're out there to make sure that the agencies comply with the regulatory principles um, that are set forth in, in in some you know executive orders, which are basically that you know they're supposed to be regu- any regulation that comes out of an agency should be um, uh, cost effective. It should be rationally based on what its intended goals are, and it should not be overburdensome where unnecessary. To put simply, and so. The OMB is that's the perspective that they're taking when they are reviewing new, you know, proposed rules and regulations.
2: Uh, Bill, I heard you up there at the TMA when we were having a a discussion. You said it's vital to get, you know, 300, 400 businesses up there to to the OMB and voice their opposition and why these (coughs) these rules uh, simply don't fit the category, correct?
1: Well, my original goal was 100 meetings with OMBO IRA. Um, however, I think, and I, I would encourage all people who uh, who want to meet with o- OMBO IRA and who have a good understanding of this regulation and, and of the proposed deeming reg and the details of it to sign up and to request a meeting very soon. I am concerned, however, now that it's out, I mean, SAFADA sent a notice today to all of its members, um, letting them know the contact person at, and to urge them to get meetings set up with OMBO IRA. And then today, um, Jeff Steyer went out, the White Cloud had a webcast webinar, and he named, he, you know, publicly said who the contact person for OMBO IRA was. So I'm a bit concerned that, well, eventually OMBO IRA is going to shut off the number of meetings after at least a hundred i I don't know a hundred, maybe two hundred meetings. I have no idea, maybe fifty so it, it's important to get peop- to get the best advocates up there speaking um and I don't mean to you know criticize people, but I don't know that four guys with black t shirts and shorts uh that haven't had a shower in a day uh meeting with o m b o r are going to be all as as effective as somebody. You see what I mean, I think
2: you make a great point bill There's nothing wrong with saying that i've been critical of of some of those situations myself, especially when it comes to the political circle uh, Azeem, uh one thing that that I think before we get into the details and 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 the process of it, I think one thing that you, that we, that we discussed uh, up at the tma was be a good a good solution not to have one business go maybe you have three or four businesses joined together to request a meeting maybe if it's a if it's a distribution network so if we have you know a distribution network. For example, 3D Vapor. They distribute 12 different or 14 different uh, liquid lines, and they represent 14 different companies. You know they could request um, a meeting on behalf of all 14 of these these uh, manufacturers. Correct?
0: Yeah, that's that's correct. And I actually I've been in touch with the contact at OMB, and you know on behalf of my clients setting up meetings. And she actually uh, responded to one of my requests and said you know in in a, in a nice way it would be possible to consolidate some of these meetings because um you know first of all i think it helps omb you know we want them to make the right decision we're not this this is not fda where we're trying to literally just you know pound on their doors and 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 show as much force as we can i think we might want to take a little bit of different approach with omb and um help them out here we want help we want we want enough good people to get in front of them over the next 60 days um but maybe not the entire, you know, you know, like as Bill just mentioned, the entire, you know, community. Um, so to the extent that there are networks of groups of companies and distributors and suppliers that work together and want to go in together, I think OMB would appreciate having consolidated meetings like that because, you know, there, there is a time crunch here. They're not going to be able to meet with everyone, sure. although their policy, their official policy is uh, to meet with everyone who makes a request. I just don't know if that's officially, you know, that if that's going to be a possible given the amount of time and process, you know, the, the number of quests are likely getting at this point.
2: Uh, I, I'll give you an example. I put a request in, and full disclosure, Azim is representing me uh, as an attorney. I put a request in as te- the Tennessee Smoke Free Association. Since I'm representing 75 businesses here in Tennessee, and I will speak on behalf of the 75 businesses in Tennessee, uh, we are going to invite a few of our uh, vendors to come. And I kind of I kind of uh, went outside the box, and I, inv- I invited, of course, a couple of the big the big vendors that we here, uh, we have here in Tennessee that have multiple stores. But I also invited Rock Bottom Bottles, which is not an e-cigarette company, but they are uh, one of the largest distributors of bottles for liquid in the United States. Uh, they don't distribute just in Tennessee. They distribute all over the United States, and they're going to be one of the people that we're bringing with, simply to show that this is not just going to affect the e-cig industry. It's going to affect this company in Memphis with 17 employees that 90% of their business now comes from this manufacturing of e-liquid. So that's one meeting that, that I, that I requested, and then I'm requesting a separate meeting for from Mountain Oak Vapors, again, uh, not only for the company itself, but for all the other companies that we represent and we make e-liquid. So we're trying to combine it and make it look – Like, is that just one company going there? Bill, do you agree with that strategy?
1: Yeah, I think all the state trade associations should be requesting meetings because that would help. And I think, you know, the trade associations that exist have already had some experience dealing with legislative issues, (laughs) policy issues at the state level, which really helps, I think. Several things to remember, because I met with OMBO IRA on this very same thing two years ago. Uh, urging them not to let FDA propose the deeming reg. and I pointed out uh, all these basically everything I've been saying about these what the deeming regs would do. I t- I said that two years ago to OMBO Ira. There you'll have about a half hour to talk, right? Um, and so you, you basically plan your meeting for a half hour, focus primarily on economic impact issues, and I think in the next couple days or weeks we'll be putting out some more talking points on that, mm-hmm. because you know, OMB IRA has specific legal requirements, statutory requirements to consider, so you can go in and talk about and give a great lobbying spiel, but if you're not hitting, if you're not addressing their concerns, it won't matter, and, and some of the economic impact things like FDA assumed, the only cost they, they estimated that this regulation would cause would were the 25 people, entities, that they estimated would submit a PMTA, and they only estimated it would cost $33,000 to submit a PMTA. Well, that cost estimate of submitting a PMTA is off by a factor of 10 and maybe by a factor of 100. It's going to cost well over $3.3 3 perhaps over $33 million for any PMTA that FDA ultimately approves. Uh, yeah, anybody can submit one, sure. but... Chances are that most of them will be rejected without even, you with, know, consideration. With, with an average you know, say, of insufficient uh, information.
2: With an average of sixteen hundred SKUs on the market. Yeah, I answered your question. Yeah, thank <laughs> you, thank you, Bill. Thank you. Back to you, Azim. Azim, uh, we talked about the economic factor, but the OMB also has to look at the public health, don't they?
0: Yes, that's true. I mean, the economic factor is definitely um, part of the equation, a big part of it. But um, I want to. Make definitely clear that the OMB will consider public health implications. In fact, the OMB, or excuse me, yeah, the OMB and OIRA both have uh, scientists on staff. They have toxicologists, public health experts, epidemiologists that engage FDA and will push back on FDA on issues of public health. Because you have to remember what what OMB is doing is they're they're weighing the regulatory burden that the agency, FDA, has imposed through its regulation on the industry and considering whether that burden meets the public health concern. And there is growing, growing data and evidence that e-cigarettes are having a positive public health impact, that the gateway does not exist, that smokers are continuing to quit using these products, the smoking rate is declining. There's lots of good points to make. And um, to tie that into your business and how you are doing it, and how you and why you are in this industry is important, I think, while being careful not to, you know, uh, fall into the trap of making a smoking cessation claim, which would, you know, still cause you to be a drug. Um, but both public health, health, and the economic impacts are are factors you want to consider
2: when you go in. And I, and I think by now we should know the the, the the nice slippery slope of saying that this product helps people quit smoking without saying that it, it helps you quit smoking by now. And if you're not prepared to say that when you go there, please don't say it. And I see we've got a few people on the phone line. 347-308-8329. Press 1. I will get to all your phone calls, I promise. And I apologize if I'm a little... Uh, Uzi today, but I had a sleep study last night, and this shouldn't call a sleep study. It should be a torture study because I didn't get no sleep at all. Uh, let's let's talk a little bit more specific, Azim. On on uh, first of all, the process. How easy it, easy is it for these businesses or these state associations to get together and request a meeting?
0: Well, requesting the meeting is simple. You simply email the contact, um, which, by the way, it's publicly available. It is on OIRA's website. If you look if you look on their fa on their FAQ you will see the email for Mabel Eccles. That's not, um, you know, it's, it's out there. It's, as, as Bill mentioned, it's gone out a couple times already publicly. Um, so the process of requesting it is, 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 in, is sending an email. Um, I think you increase your chances if you put something a little bit substantive in your request. And I've helped my clients draft their requests and yes. explaining who they are and what they're doing and the impact that they're having briefly um, and how this will impact their small business. Sure. In the email request. but that's it's a simple process to actually request it.
2: And and, and simply you, you, you submit an email at some point, and then they're going they're going to return and, and ask you if this date works for you, and they're going to give you a time to show up in Washington and, and go on with the process. Now you were there yesterday, Azim. Uh, you had yes. the first meeting yesterday, uh, which was great because it's good timing for the show, uh, obviously. But I want to talk about your experience with this first meeting. Uh, and, and what people can expect uh, when, if, if they decide to to go to the OMB?
0: Sure. Uh, before I talk about the first meeting, I just want to make make sure I don't forget to mention: if you are going into a meeting, if you do get a meeting, make sure you read the executive orders. Um, there's two of them: one two, executive order one two eight six six, and executive order one three five six three. These are the orders that authorize the OIRA to review the draft regulations, and it sets forth. The reason why it's good to read is because it, it tells you what the regulatory principles are, the principles of regulation that the agencies are re- required to implement or consider when they're making new regulations and that OIRA is required to, in, in, to enforce on them. Mm-hmm. And so... Really quickly, a couple of them that I want to just read, uh, Dimitri, if it's okay. Sure, and I've got and
2: I've got the link in the chat room as well, and I have it in the replay. Go ahead.
0: Great, great. So this is you know one of the statement of principles of regulation. It says each agency shall assess both the costs and the benefits of the intended regulation, and recognizing that some costs and benefits are difficult to quantify, propose or adopt a regulation upon a reasoned determination that benefits the intended regulation and justifies its costs. Again, they want to consider the regulatory burden imposed and the cost that they will have on the industry. Another one says, each agency <clears throat> shall tailor its regulations to impose the least burden on society, including individuals, businesses of differing sizes, and other entities. Okay, that's exactly the kind of thing that you should keep in mind sure. when you're going in there. Sure. The other executive order, and I'll send you a link to that separately, Dimitri, it's, or you can just Google it, it's 13563. This was signed by Obama in 2011, and it says that uh, it authorizes the agencies to consider and discuss qualitatively, quote, values that are difficult and impossible to quantify, including equity, human dignity, fairness, and distributive impacts. Right? These are the. This, this is what the OMB is looking at. These are the things. And, you know, to the to the extent that you can go on there and tell not only the economic story and the, the And the dollar sign story, but to give it a human aspect and how it 's impacting you as a individual, your customers the your employees, I think is a very important story to tell okay. and that 's one reason why I think my uh, the meeting that I attended ye- yesterday with Shell Hamill of the vapor bar um, actually well, it seemed to be quite successful now we don 't know exactly what they thought, sure, but based on the reactions and their conversation we had with the with the staff members um, afterward, um, it seemed to be a very, very positive first meeting, and so um, do you want me to talk a little bit about sure,
2: that? Sure, I, 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 look, before you get to that, briefly, sure. I, I, I just want to reiterate what Bill said and you said earlier: state associations that cover <clears throat> a lot of stores. Uh, one of the ideas that I had today when I was brainstorming with with uh, with Azim was, uh, you know, we we want to present. Uh, Not only, you know, how many employees, uh, sales, sales tax, and those financial figures as well, too, uh, but also present, you know, how many items everybody has in the store, how many SKUs, how many flavors you have, because I think it's extremely important, the flavor issue, even though now it's not an issue... According to the FDA, where they say don't, they don't ban flavors, please don't take that under, you know, with any grain of salt. Because once they deem the product, they can turn around and do anything that they want to afterwards. So I think bringing that kind of data from a state association that can cover a lot of stores, you know, how many flavors you have, how many SKUs you have, show that it's impossible based on what you sell in your stores and your businesses that that you can comply. There's absolutely no way. And, of course, exporting, I think, is another huge thing. So if you're a liquid company, a manufacturer that exports all over the world, and, and USA liquids being just blown up, uh, 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 Asia, Europe is just going crazy, bring those figures into What's the last thing that we produce here in the United States that's exported as crazy as liquid? is? Mean, everything's coming from China now anyway. So here's another way to show, hey, listen, this is bringing back, you know, USA <coughs> exportation of a product. So, all right, let's talk specifically on your meeting that you had yesterday. So, Bill, I'll get to you in just a second.
0: Sure. And so, you know, I went as I mentioned, I went in there with Shell Hamill, at the Vapor Bar, a uh, very successful um, uh, store owner and business that has generated um, a lot of ad- advocacy for the industry and um, has done a lot of good work. Um, one thing that we went in there, our strategy was to combine both the public health issue and the economic issue. Um, and so, again, we went in there with some good numbers on on her business and how it's going to impact, you know, how her business is, is first of all contributing to the economy, you know, through taxes and insurance and employees and um, uh, infrastructure, you know, uh, salaries. You know, we had you know good solid numbers to show how, exactly <coughs> how her business helped the economy, and and then contrasted that with what would happen if the PMTA process goes into effect and how it would be impossible. To maintain all of her lines of, of products in that environment where each PMTA is going to cost millions of dollars to produce for each flavor and for each product and so we combine the the, that economic story with a human factor, a human story and um, the public health story and so what do I mean by that? Um, one important thing that you, you just mentioned flavors mm-hmm. um, we don't know if the final rule will have a, de- a flavor ban I don't think it will but that's because they don't have to actually have a explicit ban to prevent your flavors from making it or from remaining on the market. That's because each flavor will have to be subject to its own PMTA, and if you can't meet the PMTA process uh, or if it's too costly to 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 maintain, then you're gonna you're not gonna have your flavors anyway. So they don't need to actually effectively, you know, uh, actually ban the flavors. But the story that we told wasn't the same tired story of you know adults like flavors too, because I think they don't care about that. I right. think the public health agencies don't care if if their concern is the, the, uh, the concern that kids and, and, and non-users are going to be attracted to these products um, then if they don't really care if the adults want flavors and so rather than saying that same repeated argument, we gave specific examples of, of, of how a, a, a smoker. Uh, will come into a vape store and um, will need a variety of flavors uh, options to be able to find the right combination for them to to help them maintain their to make to help them maintain the transition and by emphasizing that story along with the fact that hey each flavor application is gonna cost millions of dollars we're gonna lose not only lose our business but that smoker. <clears throat> It's going to lose the opportunity to switch the variety and go back to smoking, Mm -hmm. and so I think we tied it in nicely, and it sort of you know we could see the way that they were reacting and and nodding their heads that it made a lot of sense to them. They were hearing something different and new about how different flavors, you know, how different consumers' vapors, you know, need different flavors. You know, different you know peanut butter might work work for one person and banana might work for someone else. Sure, but unless you have you know the options of at least 30 to 50 flavor varieties in your store then you know you may not have the right combination of flavors to help a particular individual in you know, a switch mm-hmm. and so that that's the reason why you need to have multiple flavors you know it's not just that you like them yeah. uh and that adults like flavors it's that it has a real public health impact and so that's just one example of the type of com- you know Combination of the economic impact and the public health human story that I think is most effective.
2: We're speaking with Azim Chowhury from the
0: I almost got it wrong again
2: Keller and Hickman firm at Esig Attorney is his Twitter and Bill Goshoff from Smoke Free Pennsylvania. Bill Goshoff, a, a lot of talk is being made on components. I uh, uh, see Azim. I corrected myself. Not accessories. Components of vaping, uh, such as drip tips, uh, tanks, other you know parts that we use for vaping um there seems to be a split uh perspective on this some people saying there's no way they can regulate that other people saying obviously it's going to be regulated because it's going to be using it's going to be used to actually use the product what is your thoughts on that
1: well uh, first of all i think the fda leaked documents are accurate i think they are the final documents um if you read the PMTA guidance, uh nobody except people at FDA, maybe Stan Glance could have come up with those kind of crazy criteria, uh because it's basically it seems like the FDA told all of its researchers, I want you to put together the most burdensome regulation that not even big tobacco companies that have hundreds of scientists can can jump through, mm-hmm. and quite honestly, we're hearing uh, even the big tobacco companies are uh, wondering if, skeptical that their PMTAs may never get approved for end. So it's not just, and that's quite honestly why they support the coal bill sure. HR two twenty fifty eight. Sure, sure. um, back to the components, though, your question. Clearly, the FDA's enforcement priorities. If and when this comes down, are going to be the e liquid Uh, components are in there. And yeah, if you every vape shop owner in America is a manufacturer because uh, not just if you mix your own e liquids, uh, but you know, you you just screw on uh, two components, you're a manufacturer repackager, or uh, because the definition of manufacturer includes anybody in any middleman. Uh, So basically, these PMTAs are going to require you to uh, file for final product, uh, the manufacturer is going to have to sell the product in a, you know, shrink wrap package uh, to the final consumer, and there's going to be no room for middlemen, meaning no room for vaping, uh, vape shops. But I, I, yeah, the components, you know, even the battery, somebody that puts a battery in a, in a mod is a manufacturer. Yeah according to the reg i still don't i still think they're going after the e-liquid their enforcement priorities will be the e-liquid um and you know but they'll through enforcement it'll be two years after issuance of the final rule which could occur february 2016 when it's issued uh... by uh, by the white house that means two thousand eighteen february will be prohibition day in america for all e-cigarette products except the products that FDA's approved PMTA's for in 2017, uh, which probably no more than two or three, maybe four or five products at most. And I think that's gonna be a political decision because if the future FDA commissioner, I mean, this is all being dumped on the future commissioner. Uh Obama's not gonna be in the White House when this happens. And most likely the FDA commissioner and a DHHS secretary and a CDC director and Mitch Zeller will will be working elsewhere as well. So, but they're going to dump this into them, and then it's their job, and politically, they may say, well, geez, before we send those 10,000 warning letters to all those vape shops and all those e-cigarette companies that didn't submit a PMTA, we've got to at least approve a couple so that we can go and justify to the public our nationwide ban on all the other products. Sure. So but there's, we don't know what's going to happen right. there, but, uh, and I'm sorry to get off the track. No, no, but no, you're, you're, fine. you're fine, out. you're fine,
2: Bill. You're fine, you're fine, you're fine. Any input right now, this critical intersection of the vaping industry is welcome to me, and I always love listening and absorbing the information. Azim, though, here's my argument back to that, because I always run into these people, oh, they can't regulate a tube, they can't regulate this, which is, it, it could be partially be true. Uh, even zero nicotine might be ch- challenged in court at some point. We don't know what that cost is going to be. But at the end of the day, the way that I see it is that if you don't have the fuel. The car is irrelevant. So I'm going to go buy a Yugo. If I don't have gas to put in it, the Yugo means nothing. So ultimately, we're, we're talking about the fuel that moves this industry, and that falls down to e-liquid. And obviously, under these proposed regulations, if what we've seen, and I've read uh, most of what's been out there, as, as Bill mentioned, uh, they don't look very good.
0: Yeah. No, you're right. It, it does not look very good. Uh, you know, I agree with what most of Bill said. Um, you know, through... The expansive definition of tobacco and covered tobacco products—they are going to capture components and parts, which, according to the guidance that we have seen, the leaked guidance, uh, yeah. it appears that they are even attempting to capture zero nicotine products uh, or even nicotine uh, non-nicotine products, um, e-liquids uh, as components. If you, if they could somehow argue that uh, it's intended to be mixed with nicotine at some point, you know, either by the consumer themselves or uh, somewhere else on the supply chain. And so that's even, you know, that's a very expansive definition. Sure. I mean, we've always sort of, uh, you know, known that, you know, th- this, this regulation would apply to nicotine uh, derived from tobacco, uh, which is what the statute requires. Sure. Uh, but they, they seem, they seem to be even going after zero nicotine. So it's, it, they're, they're really trying to leave no no gap, and I agree. They are going to come after uh, e liquids uh, as the low hanging fruit.
2: I saw where they they've been trying to close every little hole that's out there. Three four seven three zero eight eight three two nine. Calling in with questions. Let me pick up one off uh, off Twitter. Uh, this question is for either one of you. Is there any reason to think that the OMB will be more on our side than they were the last time, uh, Bill? You want to go first since you interacted with him last time.
1: Well, uh, by the way, I. I have a meeting scheduled with OMB on November 30th. I submitted my request for a meeting on Friday, just heard back today. So it's probably about a four to five day lag time if w- from your request for a meeting to the time they get back to you to try to schedule a meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, your question, again quickly. Uh,
2: my, 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 my question is, do you think that the OMB is more inclined to be on our side this time than, than they were last time? Oh.
1: I, I Well, I hate to say it, but I'm 99% convinced that OMB Ira is going to approve uh, a final rule. Uh, it's, they may change it, uh, modify it slightly, or even significantly, but I I'm, unfortunately think that they're going to f- approve this final rule, and uh, the, ultimately it's going to go into the courts. And I think because of this leak, that's going to happen sooner rather than later. I had a lengthy two-hour talk today with TVECA's Ray Storey and Tom Kickless. They are proceeding with um, – they're preparing litigation okay. against FDA. Sure. And I, I think we all anticipated this. It's just that, you know, this last week's uh, chain of events – Has caused this thing to come quickly onto everybody's plate (laughs) when everybody thought, "I'll figure, I'll worry about that three or four months down the road." So, you're, you're, quite honestly, I think we all need to support good litigation. I wouldn't be surprised if the big tobacco companies even file litigation against this part of this, and, and Azim can get into this more than I can, strategies on litigation. I don't know that you can file a legitimate suit until after the White House officially issues formal issuance of the final rule, which may be February, March, um, because the courts may throw it out because it's not ripe for adjudication. We also need to discuss litigation strategies, theories. Um, TVCA, Ray Story has they're talking with um, Thompson Hines, the law firm that they, Ray hired. I don't know if you know Ray's story, but I worked with, closely with Ray in 2009 when he was the president of Smoking Everywhere, and he sued the FDA. And his argument and Thompson Hines' lawyer's arguments, which is what I advocated, was exactly what judge leon ruled yeah. and that is why e-cigarettes have been legal for the last four years
2: all right so, so now, let, let me stop you right there because you're on team negativity yep. like me I, i'm on the we uh, train for the last two years but azim let me get your response on this omb thing do you believe that they're more inclined to side with us on this 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 go around than, than the last time
0: well i mean i do agree that they are going to in my opinion they are going to to issue a final rule um i don't think i mean if 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 we thought that they were going to go back to FDA and say we're not going to do this, then I think that's just, that's never going to happen. They are going to issue something, and what, we're, what we believe is going to, what I hope is going to happen is that what they issue is significantly different um, in several ways than um, what has been proposed. Um, so, and in that, in that situation, and I do think, you know, a little bit positive spin on things. I do think that of all the agencies and of all the, you know, um, political leanings out there that OMB is supposed to be more on our side, on the people's side. And, you know, Jeff Steyer made a big deal about this. He said in today's White Cloud webinar that, um, you know, you can think of OMB as being like the ombudsman for, you know, for the, for the people, you know, with respect to someone being on your side to, to hear your story. And so I, I tend to agree with that. I do think that they will listen to good arguments. That, uh, again, looking at the executive orders that they're, you know, these are the orders that give them the power to do what they're doing in terms of reviewing these regulations. Um, Just to quote quickly again from the other one, uh, Executive Order 13563, it says, you know, the the job of, uh, of the agency is to protect the public health safety while promoting economic growth, innovation, competitiveness, and job creation. That literally describes the vaping industry. Right, I mean that's that's what the the vaping industry is the example of uh, of a of a of a tool that helps public health, and while promoting economic growth and job creation and innovation, and so I think you go into those meetings, you put that back into their face. Here's what you're, you know, authorized to do. Here's what you're required to do, and here's how our industry is meeting these requirements, and how FDA's rule will prevent us from doing that. Yeah, and I believe that you know we will see a final rule. You're right. Once once we see that final rule, is the point where litigation can be filed. But hopefully, that final rule will be different enough from FDA that you know. Again, I think there's going to be litigation no matter what, and there probably should be. But hopefully, it'll be more reasonable than what we're seeing right now.
2: Yeah. Let me get let me get another question. And Bill, I'm just muting you in between questions because I'm getting some feedback from your phone. Uh, but uh, here's a question uh, both for both of you. Will the FDA, this is come from Chris Hughes, will the FDA consider the possible creation of a large black market? Uh, go ahead first, uh, Azim.
0: Yes, that is one of the things that they will consider. That's one of the things that we brought up with um, at, at our meeting with uh, the Vapor Bar yesterday. Um, uh, we had, we one of the things, one of the data that, that we brought with us was a survey that Shell had conducted. I'm sure many of you are probably familiar with it or, or participated in it, asking uh, what would you do, uh, among other questions, what would you do if this uh, industry, you know, if, the, if these products were taken away from you? Mm-hmm. And I think it was something like 66% of the respondents, there were like 7,000 respondents in like three days, had indicated that they would uh, make their own juice, make their own liquid. And um, FDA doesn't want that. That's essentially saying they would they would go to, their, to the black market. They would make their own liquid or go buy from people who were selling it, you know, under the table. And that's where you get, you know, that's where you lose, you know, the tax money. That's where you have more public safety issues. And I think that is a definite factor to bring up
1: the black market.
2: Absolutely. Let me get uh, let me get Bill's uh, take on the black market, Bill.
1: Yeah, I, well, I think that's a great argument to make, especially to the courts. The Tobacco Control Act specifically states that any new tobacco regulation that's proposed that the secretary must consider meaning the fda must consider the black market potential in the two hundred pages of proposed deeming reg the word black market never appeared once i i i couldn't find it sure. I, I challenge anybody to show me, let, let <laughs> me there, ask was, you there was be clearly off. no consideration of it so that in and of itself now i don't know if OMBOIRA ira can negate a rule because fda blatantly didn't follow the law courts can do that but that's a good argument to make because the black market is going to be created and all you have to do is point to australia and canada and new zealand and hong kong that have banned it for seven years and yet vaping has taken off in those countries because people are buying it over the internet from abroad sure uh
2: azim let me ask you something uh this this process now uh, through the OMB, and everything that we're going to submit, and I think this is extremely important for people that don't know, that anything that you're going to submit, uh, whether yeah, it be financials, going yeah, to be studies, going yeah, to be anything that you're going to submit, paperwork, if you don't take it back, will be made public at some point, correct?
0: Right. You can talk about anything. You can mention numbers. The meetings are not recorded, and they don't take minutes. But any handouts or presentation materials that you leave with them will be posted, they will post it on their website. So, um, yeah. I, yeah, go
2: ahead. What I was going to say is is this process now and all these meetings that we're having, uh, it, worst case scenario, they approve the rule and it goes out and then we go into litigation. Can these meetings be used in a future court of law?
0: You, the, certainly, I mean, you can use what um, uh, is, is publicly available. So, again, because they're not recording, the meetings are taking mm-hmm. minutes. What you will have at your disposal as part of – you know, building the the, the, uh, the arguments would be what OMB, OIRA, and FDA um, had at their, disposable, that, at their disposal when making their determination. That would yeah. be the public record, including, uh, you know, all the meeting materials. Sure. So um, it could be part of your strategy to leave certain things there so you could come back and say, you know, it's something that you know that they considered. Let me take
2: this phone call. I've been waiting very patiently. 804, you're on the air with Smoke Free Radio. And if you can turn down your radio, please.
0: 804,
2: can you turn down your Hello? radio, please? Yeah, go ahead.
0: Hi. Um, well, this is kind of about 15 minutes ago now. Sorry. But, you know, one thing that I've seen numerous petitions online, I've seen lots on social
1: media, but especially with the economic impact to job growth in our industry, which our industry is growing quicker than any other industry I can think of. Mm-hmm. Um, especially with this being election season, I'm surprised that nobody has tried to get into the ears of the parts of our media that like to hop on that type of thing. Your Bloomberg, your Fox news is hell, even Reuters sometimes.
0: Uh,
2: anybody want to respond to that? Azim or Bill, let me unmute Bill. Maybe he wants to join in. Thanks for the question.
1: Well, politically, it's yeah. You know, uh, ATR, Americans for Tax Reform, Nick Grover Norquist came out the other day saying it, it could be a, a suicide for Democrats to push these anti-vaping policies for the next election. Mm-hmm. But it's really, we're we're not on the radar screen. Sure. We, we're having difficulty getting newspapers to report any of the facts about the scientific evidence. Absolutely. Um, and it's been very difficult. So I just don't know that we should be talking about it. Um, hopefully, though, it, we may have the clout in the, to affect the elections next time around. And, and by the way, if nobody's realized, it's the left-wing Democrats that have been campaigning to ban these products for six years. You may have seen four of the most left-wing Democratic U.S. senators on the floor of the Senate um, the other day. Calling for FDA to ban these products.
2: That was a that was a horrible uh, C-SPAN segment there. That's for sure. Uh, Hold on, just one second, Bill. Let me get back to uh, to another phone call here. Four hundred eight. You're on the air with Smoke Free Radio.
1: Hi, uh, yeah, this is Wolf. Uh, I've got a question for both Bill and Azim, and it's regarding the cost of what the final um, you know cost for a PMT would be. Uh, You know, I've heard numbers like one million to fifteen million. So I'm wondering what a bill of materials would look like for what those costs would be. Where does that one million to fifteen million dollars go? All right, stand you know, How how is it that big?
2: Okay, uh, Zoom, you want to go first?
0: Sure. The, I mean, I've seen also a range of numbers, some as high as uh, I think Safada said today, up to twenty million per per PMTA. Um, I haven't broken down the cost in any way. Maybe Bill has, but. Where it's coming from is essentially the, the, the fees that are associated with generating the data. So, you know, if, you're gen- if you have an e-liquid, you're going to have to generate data on the chemicals in your product to test the lab results, the the toxicity, you know, the research on all the uh, the history of the, of the toxicity of all the chemicals in the vapor and in, in the aerosol. You're going to have to test it in multiple devices. You're going to have to – here's a big part. You're going to have to, again – um, potentially do clinical, clinical type trials, studies. You're yeah. going to have to potentially do computational modeling to to address the population level question. You're going to have to have nationwide surveys and other you know uh, other types of data. It's really coming from the various methods that are out there that you're going to have to utilize to generate the data to support that your product is appropriate for the protection of the public health.
2: And that is per product, by the way. Bill, you want to chime in on this? I know you had some experience. Right? Yeah,
1: and, you, and and just submitting, you can submit all the published studies that have been done already, but FDA will just say, well, these are for other e-cigarette products. We want to know all this details yeah. about your SKU that you're submitting the PMTA for. We don't want to know anything about other e-cigarette products. And therein lies, so basically every e-cigarette company that submits a PMTA is going to have to conduct lots and lots of studies. You're gonna to have to have twenty, uh, dozens of full-time PhD staffers just to do the research. Which, and much, and way, and it? You, if, if you want to farm it out, the other problem is there's only a limited number of people that have the expertise to do these sure. studies and tests. And if you have, you know, ten companies all trying to hire, and by the way, Penny Associates is now exclusively working for Reynolds American to do their work. So you know, you can't hire Penny. And there's very few, and then you've got the problem, economics. Uh, most, many of, or most of the major hospital uh, university, medical universities in America have made it banned uh, tobacco research. So that, and, and since these products are now classified as tobacco, you're not going to, if you're a manufacturer, you want to do a PMTA, you want to, you know, form a partnership with some university research center, guess what? It's not going to be happening. So you're going to have to convince them to leave their university and set up a private company to do the research. This is a whole lot of things that FDA never contemplated. They didn't consider any of the costs that would actually occur in this process of PMTA. The only thing they estimated was 333000 per PMTA. And my suspicion is that the top six Tobacco companies in the world pay their top scientists more than that in annual salary.
2: Uh, Bill, it's funny that you said that because I did get some information randomly uh, when I was in France, and they told me that Azim, you might you might be able to. I mean, you might have heard this as well, too. But the Altria, the Philip Morris uh, Research Center, in I think it's in Switzerland, somewhere, in Europe anyway, their annual budget is like 250 million euro. <laughs> this is just the scientific R&D department of Philip Morris International there. I mean, I don't know if you've ever heard that before, but I got it from a pretty good source. <laughs> so we're going to compete against that, basically, is what I'm trying to say. We don't have a chance, right?
0: And right, and that's why it's going to be really important for the industry to to work, Together on a lot of these issues to pool resources. You know, one thing we're doing at my law firm is we are working with a coalition of companies uh, to do that, and and my clients are going to benefit hopefully from some of that pooling of resources and and knowledge. Um, you know, a lot of what Bill said I agree with. Um, you know, it's going to cost money. I do think I I've have i have also participated in with clients um, who've gone to FDA to meet and discuss about potential PMTAs. This is you know before the you know the rule went to OMB. And you know it seems to me that there are people in the agency who want to see this thing work the right way, and there are others who don't. And there's sort of this this uh, dynamic, you know, you know, controversy within the agency itself, which is a good thing. We All want right. there sure. to be controversy. And uh, what I'm hoping is that end, at the end of the day, through the OMB process, that we will have a somewhat more reasonable approach than what we've seen so far where we, we, can, we can rely on public data that's out there as long as we can bridge it to our existing products. That's not going to be easy. It's going to require a lot of work and effort. Um, and again, I think the way it's written now, what Bill said is true. It's only going to be a handful of products that are going to get through. Um, and so that's what needs to change. And hopefully sure. with people making the effort to meet with OMB now that – we can hopefully make that right, happen. Let's get
2: back to the OMBA thing for a little bit because that's, uh, that's the main purpose of this episode, not litigation, which I think that we are going to have a litigation episode in the future. But before we get there, um, let's talk about this OMB process again. We say we only have 30 minutes. Uh, usually is what they grant you to sit down with them. You have to be very structured on what you're going to say and how you're going to say it. Uh, another thing that a lot of people are not bringing up is – and this is what I started the show with as well too – Sometimes, as an industry, we say that we don't want to be regulated. You know, we don't want to be regulated. That's not going to be a reality. I think that most people, whether they're vapors or industry, do want a set of fair and reasonable regulations. Right? Fair being the key word here, which is not part of the uh, of what the what the FDA is proposing to regulate this product. So, uh, do we? What do we say in that instance? Well, what if they ask us? What if you're presenting, and one of the, one of the, the the people in the OMB say, "Well, what do you, How would you like the structure to be?" Right. I mean, that's extremely important to know how to answer because you don't want somebody saying, well, I don't want it. I don't want anything. I just want to sell my, you know, just want to sell my liquid. That's not the correct answer.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I, I don't think um, if you go in there and, and say we, we don't think we should be regulated or we don't think this final rule should be issued in any form, way, shape or form is going to work. Um, I know Bill has been advocating for the rule not to be issued. I agree that makes sense conceptually, but just realistically, it's not going to happen. I think Bill would agree with that. Um, When we were in our meeting yesterday with OMB, one of the final questions was, okay, you know, you've outlined why this doesn't make sense, how it's going to hurt the economy, how it's going to hurt public health. What would you have us do? And we discussed a couple of potential changes, you know, how FDA has the ability, the legal authority within the existing law to alter the grandfather date for deemed products, including vapor products. And also how FDA has the ability to create a streamlined PMTA process, which they have not done according to the leaked document. Mm-hmm. And so those are the two factors that, I, that we went in there to, to, to focus on. And when I say streamlined PMTA, what we brought up was, you know, they said, okay, how can you streamline it? What part of the rule of, or what part of the PMTA process would you have a streamline? They didn't say those words, but this is what was implied. And so mm-hmm. we responded, again, with the population level question. That's where it really comes down to, you know, where it becomes almost impossible for any individual company on their own to show that the availability of their particular product um, is appropriate for the protection of public health. That's a very high standard. Um, and so, what we suggested at the meeting and what I think and I, what I hope other people take from this call and also suggest as a solution is that FDA has the authority and the ability, using its enforcement discretion, to now, right now, or with additional, additional data, say that as a category of products, the entire category of vapor products, these products are generally appropriate for the protection of the public health. Meaning they do, as a category, meet the population level question because there is no gateway. We're seeing more and more data. Even CDC is almost hard for them to hide from the fact that there is no gateway at this point. The smoking rate continues to decline amongst the entire population and amongst youth, and we're seeing more and more people use these products for reduced harm. And so, I think the way that FDA should go about it is to say, as a category, these products meet that population level question. And what they should do is initiate potentially a separate rulemaking where they put that out there, submit you know submit your data on on why you think this category of products meets the population level question. And I think there's enough out there, there's enough being generated to potentially support that. If we can get FDA to do that, and if that doesn't work, possibly Congress, uh, then we have a shot, because then you're focused on the impact of your, of your products on the health of the individual consumer. And you know, we can work on standards, sure. we can work on specifications, we can work on other things to address individual consumer safety. If we can get FDA to agree that as a whole, the category of vapor products are, in fact, uh, addressing a public health population level um, uh, impact in a positive way.
2: All right. Let me get the team Gottschall, which is my team, the negativity team. Bill, uh, let me unmute you. Uh, Bill, chime in here. Well, I would urge...
1: I I would not, I would discourage anyone from endorsing any FDA regulation of e-cigarettes because as soon as people start talking about, oh, yeah, we think FDA should ban sales to minors, and we think it's okay to do this and this and this, you're endorsing the deeming reg, and you don't realize it, and that's why I've been trying to tell Mike Siegel for four years, Mm -hmm. Uh, but to come up with an alternative, one alternative FDA proposal which I did suggest in my comment last year. If you recall, when they proposed a option B for large premium cigars, mm-hmm. um, and they've re- removed that from in their final rule, according to the leaked copy. Uh, but I I suggested if FDA wasn't going to reject the deeming reg outright, to just put e-cigarettes under that same category, because basically FDA acknowledged by proposing it that option B for cigars, large premium cigars, and even said large premium cigars aren't nearly as hazardous as cigarettes, therefore we don't think they need to be strictly regulated. Well, that's exactly what they could have done for e-cigarettes. That's the only thing, and I'd also say, look, 47 states have already banned the sales to minors, and that's been the biggest argument in favor of fda regulation uh and we would have had all 50 states had it was if it wasn't for cancer heart and lung and tobacco free kids lobbying 15 state legislatures during the last three years to reject legislation that would ban the sale to minors specifically because they wanted fda to do it and they knew if all 50 states banned them it would make it more it would take away their argument that fda needs to regulate e-cigarettes to protect children
2: uh, all
1: right let's move but on those are my arguments I just I think that You're, we it's really fine. need it's to good say to have a good these perspective so, safety you know, I, I,
2: if I didn't want to have your opinion I didn't want to have another perspective I wouldn't have invited you today and I think it's good to see from both sides uh, here again we're focusing on this process and what we're trying to do is we're trying to get meetings with the OMB because I think that all of us here on the phone call and everybody listening can agree that this is what we need to be doing right now as industry. Is requesting sit because we're at that last step. And if you're sitting back and, and you're trying to mm-hmm. wonder how we got to this step, well, you haven't paid attention to what's happening in the last five, six years. That's for damn sure. But now we are at this step, and this step is the OMB, and I think it's a critical step. Uh, a- a- Azeem, realistically, how many companies do you think will will be able to get a sit-down with the OMB?
0: Well, uh, I mean, it seems like, you know, again, I've only had the direct experience with my requests, and I probably got maybe... Half a dozen meetings uh, for my clients so far. Um, you know, I think we're probably going to see somewhere between, you know, uh, uh, 50 to 100, mm-hmm. probably.
2: Between 50 and 100. So, I mean, realistically, what we're saying is that even if we get to that larger number that requests that, not necessarily where they get in, that's why that consolidation, I think, is key trying to get multiple companies to come together. Exactly. Uh, if, if, uh if this process fails, if the OMB uh, rejects uh, the, the the you know our call for them to act on these rules or push them back, or uh, I think everybody here, well, I don't know, Azim, you, you're still a little bit positive that these might be rejected, right?
0: Well, I'm hopeful that OMB will, um, you know, push back on some of these big issues to FDA mm-hmm. um, that we're concerned about, and you know, ultimately the final rule might be a little more reasonable. Mm-hmm. Um again, no matter what the rule looks like, I I, I there's going to be litigation. Yeah. You know, there's going to be things that we want to litigate. Um, you know, things like the grandfather date. So, I mean, uh but overall, I, I still have a hope that this will end up being um tailored in a way that makes sense.
2: Uh let me get Bill's perspective
1: on this. Real, real quick, Bill? Well, I still think I still think we should urge OMB to send this back to FDA uh, to to, to start all over again, and doubtful it's going to happen, but at the same time, if it does, uh, that'll be the end of it. I mean, if literally, if OMB sends this back to FDA, rejecting it, saying we need major changes, that's it. Uh, obama They're not going to be able to propose new regulations before the Obama administration is done. How much of a so political pressure do they chance, have,
2: Bill? I mean, how much political pressure are anyways, they Anyways, Anyway, that's right? my view. No, no, I agree, but I'm asking you a question because you're involved more in politics than most of us here. Um, how much political
1: pressure are they facing right now to put a rule out? I don't know i think we need to generate as many meetings as possible and we need to keep generating uh, requesting meetings and being told no sorry we've reached our limit and i think everybody that goes and meets at the white house OMB also must go and meet with their congressman it's a very important because you meet with your congressman and said i just had a meeting with the white house OMB, and their ears are gonna perk up real quick mm-hmm. and they're gonna want to know all the details of that meeting and that will actually help our lobbying efforts we also need to work the coal bill, I think, um, the approach process to, to prevent FDA from enforcing this, uh, as well as looking at litigation issues. And I really think we need to start looking at litigation and talking to TVECA because they're going through with, they're going to file a lawsuit whether you like it or I like it or not. Well, I think they're not going to be and the I only ones that are going to file to- a
2: lawsuit, though, Bill. Let's not make it out like TVCA is going to say vaping. I mean, they're not going to be the only people that are going to file a lawsuit.
1: I, I agree with We that. don't know what's going to happen. Well, I, agree. I can guarantee you, you that they're time, not going to understand See, it's very expensive. Sure, you know, sure. uh, Smoking Everywhere filed the suit original, the first suit against FDA in 2009, and Smoking Everywhere ended up dropping out of the case in summer of 2010 while it was on appeal. So it was a very good thing that Enjoy filed also filed a lawsuit because it had Enjoy not filed a second lawsuit uh, we want to run through the appeal process.
2: Bill, I totally agree with you. That was a different scope. There was a different industry, and it's not at the magnitude that it is now. Number one. Number two. I personally mm-hmm. know there's various groups that are that are getting ready that will be ready to file a lawsuit. Now, will these be consolidated? Will they go into one jurisdiction? Obviously, that's the route it's going to take. Obviously, but we, I think it's fair to say that there are other groups out there that are going to that are going to are going to file suit. Azim,
0: chime in. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, Mark. I represent a coalition of companies recently formed Right to be Smoke Free Coalition. We have uh, we're, we're the we're the coalition that jumped into the Indiana lawsuit um, fighting the particular e-liquid ban there, mm-hmm. uh, which will take effect in, in July of next year. And so we're we're already fighting that on behalf of the coalition. We, we think we have a good shot um, and we're probably going to be filing, uh, you know, something. Um, depending on what the final rule looks like, um, you know, in court, you know, fighting FDA. So there's going to be, you know, these will all in some way, shape or form likely be consolidated, um, whether you're intervening into Tebeka's lawsuit or whoever files first. Um, So at the end of the day, it's going to be litigated. Um, The question is, you want to do it the smart way. You want to make sure, you know, again, as Bill mentioned earlier, you can't do it until the final rule has actually been issued sure. um, because it's not, it's, you know, we don't have anything to, to litigate then. And so once that happens, there will be litigation. Um, and, you know, that litigation could stay the effective date, um, you know, until the litigation is resolved or there could be, you know, or it might not. It's not clear. So at the same time, I'm telling my clients, you know, fight, fight the rule, go to court if it's necessary, but also work and try to prepare for regulation.
2: I, I I agree. I mean, we have to take a step by step, Bill. Here and and no matter who files a lawsuit, obviously you align yourself with whoever represents your interests, Bill. I mean, that's there's not one person that is going to save vaping, especially not one company or a few companies coming together trying to fight this beast that's the FDA, Bill.
1: Well, it's a matter of getting the finances. I mean, the, the smoking everywhere dropped out of the lawsuit in 2010 because they basically went bankrupt. Sure and filed for bankruptcy shortly thereafter. Yeah, but thereafter. again,
2: back then there's only a couple of companies. That were, the scope of the industry was not nowhere near what it is now, Bill. And again, uh, not... I you, agree. You know, we didn't I'm have tobacco... Saying, yeah. we,
1: and litigation's double-edged sword. If you get one litigated, one lawsuit filed that's a really bad lawsuit, yeah. it could all come back and harm the whole sure, industry. Sure, so sure. I'm just saying we need to try to co- help coordinate, and, and I really think there's going to ultimately be multiple firms coming in with the money, because I don't know that any one e-cigarette company can afford this whole process, a two- or three-year process of litigation against FDA and the Justice Department. It's going to be over a half a million, maybe more. Yeah.
2: Yeah, money's going to be... Yeah, money's going to be tight, for sure. I, am I for one, would not want to see this to go to litigation, obviously, and that's why I'm trying to push this this OMB or IRA call to action to the industry that is out there. But, again, I have to see it realistically. And realistically, I believe that, like like a lot of people believe that, that we will have a rule and we're going to have a rule soon. And no matter what the rule looks like, it will have to be challenged because it's definitely going to put uh, this entire industry uh, out of business.
0: There is one other thing I want to mention, Dimitri. Sure. Yeah. Me, um, one other possible option in sort of in between the final rule and the litigation, Mm -hmm. there's something called the Congressional Review Act. Mm -hmm. uh, And Bill, you're probably familiar with this, which requires um, the federal agencies that are issuing, you know, quote unquote, major rules that have a significant economic impact, which I believe this deeming reg would definitely fall under, requires that those agencies submit the new final rules to the House and Senate for review. And the House and Senate then would have the option of overturning that rule. Now, you'd have to get, you know, I believe a majority and probably survive a presidential veto. Um, But that's sort of one other additional potential avenue if when we see the final rule before – usually they'll set the effective date as maybe 30 or if it's a significant rule 60 days after it's published. Um, In those 60 days, Congress will have an opportunity to review the rule. And so there'll be another opportunity there, hopefully, to to talk to you legislators and and try to make some some change.
1: Bill. Right. Um, I agree. And I think we as many vaping industry entities that can get contact their congressman, contact the White House, schedule a meeting uh, at the same time, we know who all doing it. But I would suspect that 90% of this industry isn't even aware of what's going on, and we need to bring in and, and expand. I, I know, I, I suspect Casad jumped their membership in by 40,000 people in one week this past week. So it's very possible. I think that we could get a lot more uh, educate the other vape shops. The other e-cigarette companies, I mean, I've been doing it and all of us have been doing it. We go to these vaping conferences and try to educate these e-liquid companies that are just startups. Uh, I swear, these, these are, they're run by kids. They got the money. They, we need to convince them to join forces with us and try to protect their industry. Some of them are just in it for a quick buck and don't care if they get shut up, out of business in a year or two. But I think many of them you know, really will think about it, and we need to educate them and, and help them along on this.
2: Well, they're too busy, uh, you know, tossing out liquid in, at events lately, it seems like. But uh, but I agree with you. I agree with you, Bill. It's going to take the entire industry together. Zim, I think from from one thing that we definitely can can say is that it's going to take all these players, all these serious players to come together. I mean, this is definitely uh, uh, a fight that's going to need a lot, a lot of money, but it's going to need everybody to have unity and, and come together.
0: Absolutely. Need to work together.
2: Need to work together. All right. So, uh, Azim, how can people contact you if they need help guiding through this process of the OMB? Obviously, eSig Attorney on Twitter. And uh, your email address is, uh, if I'm not mistaken, if I'm going to make it's, sure. Yeah, go ahead.
0: Well, actually, I, it's even simpler now. It's eSigAttorney at khlaw.com. Oh, well, that makes it easy
2: turn yeah, attorney the k h a law dot com and bill obviously bill godshaw at Verizon.net. if you're not on bill's email list what the hell have you been doing for the last ten years by the way bill somebody asked me how do you collect all that data to put on 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 your email how do you how do you leech all that information
1: i'll just surf i you just surf, surf? the really? website uh and try to keep people informed, and I'm on a lot of different lists, I'm on a lot of different things, and I just try to find as much information I can on this issue and then sort through it, because there's a lot of crap out there, a lot of you know, mindless bullshit out in the news media, and it's important to understand what's going on. You know, I I try to read all the news, the studies as well. I think I've read every study that's ever been published on e-cigarettes the whole way through. Mm -hmm. And and I'm one of the few people that try to do that, but it's because there's a lot of misrepresentation of the scientific studies by the authors of the studies. If they're funded by FDA, virtually every study you've heard in the news media where the people misrepresent uh, e-cigarettes, they're all funded by FDA. This is what we're up against.
2: Bill, you've been preaching it for a very, very long time. Uh, uh, I'm a betting man. I'm Greek. I bet on the weather if I don't have anything to bet. So, what are, what are, what are our chances, Bill? Give us give us a realistic.
1: I I don't I don't know. If nothing else, was going to be a very lucrative black market in the future. <laughs> That's for sure. That's for sure. All right, Bill. Thanks for joining us. As
2: you stand by, Bill, you might want to consider
1: yeah. relocating abroad and selling your e-liquid over the internet. Because and in fact, working out of Britain might be the best place uh, in the future because it's legal to manufacture and sell there. Uh, and I don't know that the U.S. Justice Department has the uh, the reach of uh, to getting into the British companies to say what they can and cannot say oh, on their websites.
2: Well, oh. uh, I, sh- I don't think we should have said that now because nobody's going to join the fight and everybody's going to move to the U.K. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 trust me, I for didn't really country. enjoy being in London and Birmingham. I didn't enjoy both of my trips there. <laughs> but I guess I'll have to. Uh, Bill, thanks for uh, thanks for joining us. As always, it was really nice to see you at the TMA, and I always enjoy talking to you, sir. I uh,
1: thank you. Thanks, Bill.
2: There he goes, everybody. Bill uh, Gauchal from Smoke Free Pennsylvania. Before I let you go, Azim, again, let's just kind of summarize uh, this, this process. i mean requesting uh, a meeting with the with the, with the IRR-OMB. Uh, obviously anybody can do it, but what we're suggesting here is trying to get a coalition of vendors together, hopefully with some representation, because I think guidance is needed, whether it's going to be a trade association that you're part of, whether it's going to be your attorney, whether it's going to be your state association. We really need to be very concentrated and focused, and if one thing that, after we talked on the phone today that I got from you, is through your first initial process with the OMB yesterday, being structured and direct with some really key points is going to make a huge difference.
0: Absolutely. You have to go in there with a strategy. You're only going to have 20 to 30 minutes. Um, you know They're not going to say much, although our meeting yesterday, they seemed engaged. They asked a lot of good questions, which is always a good sign. Um, but you definitely want to go in there with a strategy in advance. You want to have your numbers ready. You want to have your presentation materials ready, any handouts uh, to data or studies ready. Um, you want to have you know you want to you know go in there like any other presentation practice a few times know what your goals are um know what your talking points are and um you know go back to the to the executive orders that i mentioned earlier mm-hmm. and point that to them and, and refocus the attention on what their obligations are you know if you're going in there with with uh with representation um that's, that's something i always recommend sure. um talk about the solution you know don't just say because again, this is where me and Bill might differ probably the most. You know, I think it's more valuable to OMB at this stage to say, well, here's how it it can make sense to regulate these products, and, and rather than saying, you know, we're not gonna don't regulate us, don't issue it. I think at this point that's that's going to happen no matter what you say. So um, all in all, I think you go in there with a good strategy, with the numbers, with the data, with the public health, uh, you know, impact arguments as well as your human story. You're an individual. You're a person. You started a business. Maybe you quit smoking. Maybe you help people quit smoking. Mm-hmm. Although you don't say those terms, quit smoking, um, you go on there and talk about your story and how it's impacted your health and your life. And I think you take that with, you know in combination with everything else, you can have a, a meaningful impact.
2: I think that's a great way of putting it because most of these people that run these businesses are ex-smokers. So, if you can tie, you know, your experience briefly, along with economic impact and how, you know, switching to this product for it, truly getting away from combustible tobacco and making your health better, turn into this economic opportunity that you probably would never had in a in hundred years here in the United States, and put them all together in a nice scenario that really, you know, draws the attention and gives them the. It lets them understand that, hey, look, this started really with people trying to quit combustible tobacco, which is pretty amazing. I mean, if you really think about it, as you know, I mean, I'm really passionate about this. And, and, and I always hear Vapor saying all the time in, in businesses, it's impossible. Why are they doing this? But... It's the reality. We're at we're right before the finish line now. There's no other time now to, to you have to stand up and do something about it. Speaking of, let me ask you from a vapor's perspective, from a consumer perspective, what can they do to help this process?
0: I think the the consumers, the vapors, uh, they have an important voice um, to the extent that they can come in and organize themselves, maybe as groups of of, of consumers. and and try to meet with OMB. I think that's an important story to tell as well, you know, because this, uh, consumers are also stakeholders. They're the ones who are directly impacted their lives and their health Mm -hmm. is directly impacted. Sure. And so, you know, Jeff Steyer made a big point today of, you know, going up and telling your personal story, uh, you know, to OMB, how this has changed your life for the better. And I think that's valuable. I think there, if you can get a meeting uh, scheduled and Mm -hmm. you can do that, absolutely. You should, um, And because I think it's something OMB needs to hear because they they do not only consider quantitative data, they consider qualitative data as well, which, in other words, is anecdotal data, you know, the forbidden anecdotal data. Um, But OMB will consider those types of issues uh, and stories. So I think it's worthwhile.
2: Yeah, and I remember Pamela Gorman saying saying this at at one of the meetings that we had, and it's kind of stuck in my head, like, how many vape shop owners or how many people in the industry – um, have had that feeling where a, con- a consumer, a customer of yours, comes up to you. I mean, basically handing you money for your product because they enjoy your product. But they also said thank you to you. Like, thank you for finally helping me quit smoking. Your product worked. And, you know, smoke. For- I mean, there's such a personal emotion, such a personal connection there. No matter how greedy you are for money, there's no way. I mean, you have to be made out of leather for something like that not to touch you and if you can relay that into your presentation at the oira as well too i think that's a really passion, i think that's a really moving thing azim maybe maybe i'm a just an old man. no Greek you're exactly romantic. right you're exactly right you know it's
0: i just want to emphasize the importance of having that sort of a theme and that structure you know going in there and saying this is your right and you know adults like flavors too are good points to an extent but i think taking it to the next level, the way that we've described here tonight, sure, sure. is the most effective way moving forward.
2: Sure. You're absolutely correct. Uh, Azim. Uh, as always, thank you so much for taking... I know you've been really, really busy. So uh, from the bottom of my heart, thank you for coming on today and and uh, and uh, kind of going through this process. And obviously, as this is going along in the next 30, 60 days, we'll be giving some updates. I will definitely update my experience with the OMB as much as I can and share it with my listeners here. But... At Isig Attorney on Twitter, contact them if you have any questions. Always welcome to talk with. You. By the way, you've been in the eSig industry now for quite a long time.
0: <laughs> so yeah, I mean, no, I, I, you know, I've been working. I, I don't on want these people to think that, yeah, since uh, two thousand and nine, two yeah, thousand um, ten. I don't, I, I don't so. want people to think, oh, here comes an attorney.
2: All you know, all of a sudden now he's looking for for work, you've been doing this forever. I mean, I have personally known you for uh, hell over three three and a half years now. We collaborated on a lot of uh, a lot of subjects and. It's extremely important to have the right person guide you through the process as well, too. And I reach out for help every time I'm not aware of something uh, to people that know uh, a whole lot more than me. And I think it's extremely important to have the right guidance going into this thing in order for us to be effective. It's having like a good game plan before going to a football game, unlike my New York Jets, which suck. All right, Azim. Thanks for coming right. on, buddy. Have a great evening. Thank you for having me. Appreciate Thank it. You. Thank you. Bye-bye. There he goes, everybody. Azim Chowdhury from the... Keller and Heckman law firm and Bill Godshall from Smoke Free Pennsylvania. Thank you to both of the gentlemen and everybody that called in with questions or tweeted me. Finally, I want to reiterate that just because this is going to the with the FDA, let's not forget what's going on in our states, okay? This is a dual battle that we're fighting. Remember when the FDA regulations first were announced in April 2014 and what did we do? We took all of our energy and all of our focus on these proposed deeming regulations. And look what happened in the states. Instead of forming state associations, trying to protect our local businesses, we changed our focus to the FDA, and slowly these states start passing some really bad laws. Again, look what's happening now, all right? Still out there in California. If you saw the New Mexico hearing a couple of days ago where Greg Connolly presented, I mean, we're talking about an all out attack by misinformed. Uh, lying politicians on a state-by-state level. Why? Well, obviously the numbers are coming out. Uh, Sean Gore put a great presentation out, out in his state with Oval and the Oklahoma uh, Advocacy Vaping League out there where they presented that people in his state have quit smoking, quit smoking, the, the, the rates are declining, and it's directly, directly uh, uh, related to the use of electronic cigarettes. So organize in your state – And keep an eye on the federal level as well, too. This is a dual battle. Let's not just all put our eggs now in the FDA regulations and allow these states that are going to pass legislation that's going to be detrimental to the industry and detrimental to the vapors, detrimental to your consumers. You owe it to your consumers, right? I mean, you owe it to the people that pay you every week. In the speech that I had in Ohio Saturday, I told the vapors, I said, you need to go up to your vendors and you need to demand from them that they fight and continue to have the right to take your money. I mean, it, it sounds absurd, but it's the truth. If we, the consumers, don't pressure our vendors to do it so we can continue to enjoy our flavors, to continue to enjoy the variety, to continue to enjoy the accessibility, hell, to continue to, to enjoy the economy, the economics of vaping, right? What good is it vaping if, as in Chicago passed a couple of weeks ago, they add a 55-cent meal tax to the product? Turning a a 15 mil bottle to 37 dollars, who the hell is gonna vape? And let me tell you, I've seen how many how many meals some of you guys vape. I ain't gonna call you out. You know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say any names. But there are people out there who are vaping 15, 20 meals a day, right? So what good is it gonna do what the federal regulation is gonna do if you can't buy shit in your own city? Organize on a state level, put all those resources together, turn them over to the federal level, turn them into the OMB right now, which is a critical process. Get your voice heard. Get your state represented. Get your businesses represented. And as always, as Bill said, be very cordial. Be very polite. Be very educated before you go in there. Because what you say in that room, what you say in that room reflects the entire industry. So please, don't fuck it up for me, all right? I hope you enjoyed this episode of Smoke Free Radio. I'll be back next Wednesday night, 9.30 p.m. Eastern, right here on the Live Network. Have a wonderful evening.